to the Neil Stevenson Book Club Podcast. My name is James. And I'm Marco Sparks. What up? What up? Welcome back. This is episode 10 of the podcast. We are cruising into Act 3 in Snow Crash, talking about chapters 46 through 50 today. How'd these chapters grab you, Marco? Uh, great. There's some some stuff that I remembered from reading it previously that like we're starting to see the beginning of. Um, one moment that I completely forgot about. Yeah. Um, and I think like if we talk about, we talked about at least two episodes ago of the, if you think about the episodes of chapters we do in the podcast as a TV show, this is an interesting follow-up episode to where the last episode left off. For sure. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, before we get into the episode, I want to say if you want to support the podcast, uh, we have a new book coming out. It might even be out by the time this uh, episode drops it's called Troll Takes a Holiday. It's the third book in a Girl Detective mystery series. So don't read this one first. But if you want to support the pod, go to mynamestrouble.com. You can check out our book series. It is kind of teen detective mystery. It has nothing at all to do with Snow Crash. But if you're interested to see what we get up to in our own writing, have fun with that. Mynamestrouble.com. All right. You'll like it. If you like Neil Stevenson, you'll still kind of like it. Sure. Uh, yeah, chapter 46. Um, so last time they were towing the big big wigs from the Port Sherman situation that was via the cutoff part of the dock. Then all of a sudden, as they're cruising along the Kowloon, they're gone. So they look over and they look back and they see the back of ways dead in the water. There's that that part of the dock. The speedboat that's towing them has goes back to retrieve them. Well, and the hero is assumed- like, oh, they must have found a way to detach the tow cable. And like, impossible. It was detached underneath. But then, yeah, uh-oh, steel cable. who do they see in the water? But some dude in a one-man kayak, a long-haired man. <laughs> and Livio says, shit, where the hell did he come from? Like, Raven needs, like, music whenever he shows up. Like, in the theoretical TV show or movie, yeah, you would definitely need, like, a, a good Just like, motif uh, for him. Whenever they talk about Frau, what's her name, and Young Frankenstein, you hear, like, the horses in the background. Like, he just needs, ba 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 yeah, so they, they see him, like, he, like, catches a wave. Like, they, they kind of see him, because I think they talked about how he can, like, catch waves and, like, go super fast. But, like, they actually see him do it in his kayak. He, like, paddles to catch a wave and, like, zooms right over to the uh, the raft. Or not not the raft, well, but the, the makeshift raft with the big wigs on it. Well, in context, he passes the speedboat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's how fast he's going. Uh, then it says he, he, uh, he parks the, the paddle athwart the kayak, reaches down inside and hauls out a small dark object, a tube about four feet long, which he hoists up on one shoulder. He and the speedboat shoot past each other going in opposite directions, separated by a gap of only 20 feet. Then the speedboat blows up. So he just like takes out the speedboat with like a rocket launcher or something. Well, like he just like fucking like jousted in one of the speedboat. Mm-hmm. And then from the book we get, He's such an asshole, Livio says. What's he going to do now? Tow them behind, out to the raft behind his fucking kayak? Uh, yeah, it seems to be all alone out there. But Oh, wait, what's this? Uh, a mountain is growing out of the sea, a bubble of black water that keeps rising and broadening. Well behind the bobbing raft, a black tower has appeared, jutting vertically out of the water, a pair of wings spreading from its top. The tower keeps getting taller, the wings getting higher out of the water, as before and aft, the mountain rises and shapes itself. Red stars and a few numbers, but no one has to read the numbers to know it's a submarine, a nuclear missile submarine. Oh, shit. The ortho showed up in their nuclear sub. Yeah. 
uh, right right next to where the Russians are and their little raft. Uh, so Gurov and his friends can practically jump on it. There's an interesting line here, just where Raven paddles towards them, cutting through the waves like a glass like knife. Like a glass knife. Yeah, I had that highlighted, like his own glass knife. <laughs> fuck me, says the man with the glass eye. He's utterly astounded. Fuck me, fuck me, fuck me. Uncle Enzo's going to be pissed. Like how Livio's just like, you couldn't have known. Should we shoot at him? Uh, for the man with the glass eye can make a policy decision. The deck gun on the top of the nuke sub opens up. Okay, we got a rapid, rapidly evolving situation here. Uh, Hero, you come with me. And then I, I love yeah. this description. Once the deck gunners on the nuke sub figure out how to hit the Kowloon, the situation begins to evolve even more rapidly. The Kowloon can't decide whether to sink, burn, or simply disintegrate, so it does all three at once. By that time, most of the people who are on it have made their way onto a life raft. They all bob in the water and zip themselves into orange survival suits and watch the nuke sub. So their, their Kowloon just gets annihilated. They make it into a life raft. Raven is like the last person to get on the sub. He like before he does, he's got this like eight foot long spear. It's this like massive, like leaf shaped, translucent, you know, spear tip. And he like looks back and like waves the harpoon at them and then gets on the yeah. sub. And then they're just that like, that gives me the creeps. Yeah. That guy gives me the creeps. The man, with the glass I says. So they're just floating in the water. Now they didn't even bother to go like finish these dudes off. Yeah. They're just like, whatever. Fuck you guys. There's a, there's, there's a great bit earlier where the they're thinking about taking on this the sub and they says they take a gamble and they bet on the sub. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah. So chapter forty seven. Yeah, ch- yeah, chapter forty seven. Um, so we're we're catching up with YT here and she's you know, she realized she's being brainwashed at the end of the last chapter, so she's kind of coming out of it a little more now. So she's noticing things. Just for example, the whole time no one even ever looks at her in the in the eye especially the men, no sex at all in these guys. They've got it pushed so far down inside them. She can understand why they don't look at the fat babushkas, but she's a 15 year old American chick and she's used to getting the occasional look, not here. Yeah. Uh, and so she's, she's working up her big fat vat of fish that she keeps dumping out onto people's trays. And then she suddenly looks up one day and there's just some guy's chest. And when she follows his chest upwards with his neck and his neck all the way up to his face, she sees dark eyes staring right back at her. Right over the top of the counter, he's got something on his forehead. Poor impulse control. Oh fuck! Which is kind of, which is kind of scary, sexy. Well, but again, you'd be like, you like, dun 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 dun. Yeah, you're like, oh no, it's Raven. <laughs> kind of scary, sexy too. It gives him a certain measure of romance that none of these other people have. She was expecting the raft to be dark and dangerous, and instead, it's just like working where her mother works. This guy is the first person she's seen around this place who really looks like he belongs on the raft. <laughs> uh, and then they just had the sauciest conversation here. I want to read the whole thing. I'll try not to. It just do you take the nasty stuff, one fish head or two? She says, dangling the ladle picturesquely. I can I, I can really picture that. Uh, mm-hmm. She always trash talks people because none of them can understand what she's saying. I'll take whatever you're offering, the guy says, in English, sort of a crisp accent. I'm not offering anything, she says, but if you want to stand there and browse, that's cool. Like, it's it's everything. It's, like, so late in the thin yondo. Well, and and I, I think you kind of get a sense of what he looks like, at least, like, the parts of him. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm kind of curious what people, as they read this, how do they actually composite Raven as a whole? But the the detail we've kind of heard before, but she says he has a long, wispy mustache that does nothing for his face. Yeah, you got to cut that mustache. Uh, he asks her what's for dessert. Uh, got anything sweet for me? And she says, we don't believe in dessert. It's a fucking sin, remember? And he's like, oh, it depends on your cultural orientation. You find out he's an alouette and he's been fucked over by everyone in history, you know? Uh, and so she says, so uh, do you want me to serve up some fish or are you going to stay hungry? The big alouette stares at her for a while. Then he jerks his head sideways and says, come on, let's get the fuck out of here. 
So, so prior to that, as they're like, they're talking or staring at each other, there's a great bit where people are starting to notice the hold up in the line. And so towards the back, guys will get up on their tiptoes. And then once they see that it's Raven, they get the fuck off those tiptoes. There's a whole lot of that in these next few chats. There's like dudes being like, wait, what is this? Oh, never mind. Yeah. <laughs> never mind. Uh, I'm just going to jump off the boat rather than uh, be near you. Yeah, so finally he tells her to come with her to get the fuck out of there. She, he's going to find her a new cool job. And she says, in this job, do I get to leave my clothes on? Come on, we're going now, he says, those eyes burning into her. She tries to ignore a sudden, warm, tense feeling down between her legs. YT's into it. This this chapter is soaked. Yeah, the, the big guy hoists her right over the counter like she's a three-year-old and sets her down next to him. The head babushka bitch, she's frozen in a mixture of surprise, fear, and sexual outrage, but the fear wins out. And he like he has this line, he says, I was thinking of going out anyway. So we're going to find out what yeah. going out on the raft means. Yeah, yeah. So he's kind of like leading her, you know, through the uh, the captured ships uh, to like kind of the edge of their territory and says, from here, it's a 30-foot drop to the water, looking out across a prosperous, clean, white neighborhood of the Russian people separated from the squalid dark triangle or dark tangle of the raft, uh, perceived, uh, separated by a white canal patrolled with gun-toting black robes. And he basically just, like, grabs us, like, this hunk of rope, throws one arm around a whitey's race, gathers her in a crook of his arm, leans back, and falls off the ship. Yeah. Lots of lots of dudes of Uzis. We get, like, we get this warning that, like, it's, you have to do this weird zigzag to, like, navigate the raft. Like, nothing is, like, connected in an even way. He also tells her uh, his name is Dmitry Ravenoff. Better known as Raven. Oh shit, she thinks. Yeah. Dimitri Ravenoff. Dimitri Ravenoff. Better known as Raven. So now she's already turned on by this guy. Now she's like, oh shit, it's like enemy number one. Yeah. Um, so he takes her to like the Hong Kong Vietnamese portion, you know, started in Vietnam, came to Hong Kong as boat people after the war there. She's kind of He's amazed like, be- to be like, wow, I'm I'm actually on the raft, like the real raft now. Yeah, yeah. Like the stories that I've heard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Don't be scared. This isn't dangerous for you. He said. He says. She says that she doesn't think that she could find her way back here. And he, from the book, it says, uh, "Relax." He says, "I've never lost a girlfriend. Have you ever had a girlfriend?" And he throws his head back and laughs. A lot in the old days. Not as many in the past few years. Oh yeah, the old days. Is that where you got the tattoo. He's like, "Yeah, I used to be an alcoholic. Yeah, I'm an alcoholic. I used to get in a lot of trouble. Um, I could go on. Yeah, this, this been whole sober for eight years. I mean, we learn a lot about Raven here. He's like." It's totally probably not what you're expecting Raven to be like because yeah. he's only been this like kind of like psychotic, super badass, like, it, it, you know, figure of terror in, in Heroes World. And here he's just kind of like he's just this guy who's like he's big and like scary and like fierce and whatever. But like it's like he's going to start telling you about how you need to like accept Jesus Christ, your savior or something. you know? Yeah. And so she asked what his job is. And he's like, I'm a harpooner. And she's like, like in Moby Dick. And she's talking about how back in school, most people in her class, even the power tools of the book was totally entrenched. But she liked all the stuff about harpooning. Um, he compares himself a, uh, unfavorably to the Moby Dicksters. Uh, yeah. But yeah, he does. Uh, you, what kind of stuff does he harpoon? You name it. Uh, says, yeah. And she's just kind of blown away by all this and uh, just staring at everything. She says part of it is just because she's so different. But part of it is that there's no privacy on the raft. You make your way around by hopping from one boat to the next, but each boat is a home to about three dozen people. So it's like you're constantly walking through people's living rooms and bathrooms and bedrooms. Naturally, they look. And then she yeah, figures out something are, important. These people aren't looking at her. They're not even giving her a second glance. They're all looking at Raven. And it's not just a case of celebrity watching or something like that. All these raft dudes, 
these tough, scary homeboys of the sea are scared shitless of this guy. And she's, yeah, she's on, on a, a date, date with him. him and it's just started. Yeah. A lot of description of like people see Raven and they get the fuck out of his way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And she's like walking through this another Vietnamese living room. Why she has a flashback to the most excruciating conversation she ever had, which is a year ago when her mother tried to give her advice what to do if a boy got fresh for her. Yeah, mom. Right. I'll keep that in mind. Yeah. I'll be sure to remember that. Whitey knew the advice was worthless. And this goes to show she was right. <laughs> All right, chapter 48. Uh, so uh-huh. we learned there are four men in the life raft. There's hero protagonist. Hero is armed mm-hmm. with two swords and a nine millimeter semi-automatic pistol, known colloquially as a nine with two ammo clips, each carrying 11 rounds. There's a Vic, no last name. Uh, he's a sniper. He's got like a big sniper gun. There's Elliot Chung, who is the skipper of the cavalry until it blew up. He's got a 44 Magnum that he uses to like shoot halibut. And there's Fisheye, who is what we're calling the glass eye. That's, he will only identify himself by his nickname. And he is armed with a large, fat, black suitcase. So it's this big, heavy suitcase that's, like, in the middle of the life raft, like, pushing the middle of the raft down. And there's, like, this, like, gigantic, um, like, uh, heat sink, ca- like, device that's c- cabled to it that they've thrown over the side of the boat that's, like, generating constant steam because it has to be, like, cooled in the water. Yeah. Uh, quick note about, about Elliot is he's been around because he's a seaman Mm -hmm. uh he's fluent in both black and white english we're told as well as cantonese taxilinga and some vietnamese spanish and mandarin he says that the 44 magnum revolver he carried on board the kellen was just for the halibut yeah there's this whole long description i won't get into of just like the weird kind of um like heat weather vein thing the old hero only saw it briefly but like it was like glowing red hot when they like transferred it from the kowloon to the raft before it blew up and so it's like uh, nobody's wants to say it, but it's quite obvious there that there's a radiothermal isotope that they've been lugging around. Yeah, I think this is the longest chapter. Is it? I don't know. I never count. Feels like it feels like it is. Yeah. Um, all the participants are clad in bright orange padded suits that cover their entire bodies. They're the North Pacific version of life vest. They are bulky and awkward, but Elliot Chun likes to say that northern water is the only thing that life does is make your corpse float. Nice. Uh, the raft is about 10 feet long and does not come equipped with a motor. It's like a 10 foot, like waterproof canopy that they zip all the way around turning a seal capsule. Um, and it sounds like they could motor themselves just by that massive heat sink. They've got in the water next to them. Yeah. And they're going to be in the water for a couple of days. Yeah. So heroes computer is capable of jacking in the net, but, uh, it needs a, like a cell connection. He doesn't have one of those right now because they're out in the middle of nowhere. And the the wind is blowing them away from the Oregon coast into the open water. Yeah. So all they just, all they have to do is float and be orange. <laughs> they have plenty of food stored on the raft. The occasional fresh halibut and salmon are nice to eat. Uh, Elliot's like helping out doing some fishing. Fish eyes taking what appears to be the instruction manual from the heavy black suitcase. Uh, and I, this fun little thing here says all technical devices require documentation of some sort, but this stuff can only be written by techies who are doing the actual product development, and they absolutely hate it. Always put the docs questions off the, until the last minute. So that's what he's reading. Mm-hmm. Is like kind of cobbled together documentation for this prototype thing, this briefcase. Yeah. Well, we'll find out it's not intended for field yeah. use. But this only occupies uh, fish, fish eye for a little while. He spends the rest of the time just staring off the horizon as though he's expecting Sicily to heave into view. It doesn't. He is despondent over the failure of his mission and spends a lot of time mumbling under his breath, t- trying to find ways to salvage it. Uh, if you don't mind my asking here, it says, what was your mission anyway? Fish I thinks this one over for a while. Well, it depends on how you look at it. Nominally, my objective is to get a 15-year-old girl back from these assholes. So my tactic was to take a bunch of their bigwigs hostage, then arrange a trade. Who's this 15-year-old girl? Fish I shrugs. You know her. It's YT. 
So like, which is like, of course it is. They talked about this last time. Yeah, yeah, but like, it's, we we see that they they care much more. I think than YT thinks they care. You know what I mean? Well, and and to be fair, last time it was kind of implied that the mafia didn't care as much because mm-hmm. Fisheye was like, "Oh, you know that girl you've had spying on us? Well, we've had her spying on you too." It was kind of dismissive. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's like they do care. And that was the whole purpose of like getting those guys on the the pier and like separating them and towing them out to sea. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know why I like this detail that uh, Vic is just reading a paperback that was in his uh, mafia windbreaker. Yeah. Well, and there's a, a great little thing here is like he's here. It says is that really your whole objective? And this is fish. I talk. He says the important, oh, the important thing, the important thing is hero that you have to understand the mafia way. And the mafia way is that we pursue a larger goals under the guise of personal relationships. So, for example, when you were a pizza guy, you didn't just deliver pizza fast because you made more money that way or because of some kind of fucking policy. You did it because you were carrying out a personal covenant between Uncle Enzo and every customer. This is how we avoid the trap of self-perpetuating ideology. Ideology is a virus. So getting this chick back is more than just getting the chick back. It's the concrete manifestation of an abstract policy goal. And we like concrete. Right, Vic? So, it's, yeah. I don't know. It's an interesting philosophy. I feel like... Um, Doing things for personal relationships is could lead you down all sorts of uh, canis rabbit holes, just as much as any like quote unquote ideology. But yeah, uh, but Vic also has a judicious sneer and a deep grinding laugh. Mm-hmm. Um, so what's the abstract policy goal in this case? Hero says, "Not my department." Fisheye says, "But I think Uncle Enzo is real pissed at El Bob Rife." Oh yeah. <laughs> so then we so heroes in Flatland. Yeah, we got to get this chapter of like just Hero dicking around on his computer because he doesn't have anything else to do. Uh, Flatland is like it's the metaverse, but it's just like 2D. You know, it's like no no fancy graphics. Uh, When hackers are hacking, they don't mess around with the superficial world of metaverses and avatars. Uh, Everything that you see in the metaverse, no matter how lifelike and beautiful and three-dimensional, reduces to a simple text file. So they go beneath the surface and enter the netherworld of code and tangled nam shoves. He doesn't fully know what he's doing yet, but that's part of programming, just laying the groundwork, building structures of words that seem to have no particular connection to the task. Uh, from the book we get, he knows one thing. The metaverse has now become a place where you can get killed or at least have your brain reamed out to the point where you might as well be dead. This is a radical change in the nature of the place. Guns have come to paradise. I like that line. He said, yeah, he says it serves them right. They made it too vulnerable. They figured out the worst thing that could happen was that the virus might get transferred into your computer, force you to ungoggle and reboot your system, maybe destroy a little data if you were stupid enough not to install any medicine. Therefore, the metaverse is wide open and undefended, like airports in the days before bombs and metal detectors, like elementary schools in the days before maniacs of assault Ooh, rifles. Written in 1992. Yeah. yeah. Um, can't defend yourself as, as you can't chase the bad guys, but it takes a lot of work and, and a change on a global corporate level. In the meantime, there will be the role for individuals who know their way around the place. A few hacks can make a lot of difference in this situation. A freelance hacker could get a lot of shit done years before the giant software factories bestir themselves to deal with the problem. Yeah, so what he's doing here, he, uh, you'll remember the one um, like Clint avatar tried to show him the snow crash and he cut its arms off and then told the little daemons underneath Black Sun to like, take it to his office, the scroll. Um, and because the, uh, they did the, the, his office like auto syncs to his computer. So he has all that data on his computer right now, even though he can't get in the metaverse. And so, uh, he goes into his office and does some computery shit. And like, basically it's, he's talks about like dealing with the, the snow crash scroll, like, like handling a radioactive isotope, like can't touch it directly, but he can kind of poke around and like pull it apart and eventually isolates what must be like the snow crash, like, you know, big data dump part of the file. 
and he programs his computer to scan for that constantly and like and not show it to him. So he calls it snow scan. So it's I, I like how they call it medicine in this book instead of antivirus software. I guess yeah. I guess medicine makes sense like terminology wise. Yeah. Um, yeah. But so he's basically invented antivirus software for snow crash so that he can't be affected by it now on his computer. It's like he's almost kind of adopting the primitive language of like the Enki times, mm-hmm. the Sumerian times. But yeah, so yeah, there's a new program called Snowscan, which will will block it out. Uh, he starts writing himself an invisible avatar. It's it's easy to create an avatar that doesn't look like anything, but that can lead to problems. Some metaverse real estate, like the Black Sun, wants to know things like how big your avatar is so it can figure out if you're colliding with another obstacle. But if you give it an answer of zero, you make your avatar infinitely small. You either crash that piece of real estate or else make it think that something is very wrong. You'll be invisible, but everywhere you go in the metaverse, you will leave a swath of destruction and confusion a mile wide. Yeah, so why is he doing this? He says, uh, just because in the new and more dangerous metaverse, it might come in handy. Hmm, I wonder if it will. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So he, he spends a lot of time doing that. He says he puts uh, one together in several hours by recycling bits and pieces of old projects left behind his computer, which is how hackers usually do it. So he's just like using a lot of his other avatar, like code that he wrote and putting it together for his new avatar. And then well, I was say there's a hundred little tricks like this. He wouldn't know if he hadn't been programming avatars for people like Vitaly Chernobyl for the last couple of years. Yeah. And then he also like starts digging into his old, like like motorcycle metaverse uh, code. Cause on the street, you can pass through people's avatars, but you can't pass through walls, can't enter private property and you can't pass through other vehicles or through pay, uh, permanent street fixtures, such as the ports and the stanchions that support the monorail line. So if you collide with any of those things, you don't die or get kicked out of the metaverse. You just come to a complete stop like a cartoon character right, running spraying into a concrete wall. So mm. it's like he has this whole description of like in the metaverse, you can create like these like motorcycles that go like as, you know, as fast as a quark. Uh, there's no constraints on acceleration or air resistance. The only constraint is like the reaction time of the user. So that's yeah. that's the the key to like racing motorcycles in the metaverse you make one mistake you've lost you have to be super good but hero uh had a pretty good motorcycle he probably could have been one of the best on the street simply because his reflexes are unearthly but he's more preoccupied with uh, sword fighting than most motorcycle riding i find that interesting that's like what hero's one kind of superpower is like his reflexes are really good mm-hmm. it's like i feel like it's a very classic protagonist superpower because you never want your protagonist to be like the strongest guy in the room or no. like you know, no drama, who can though. run the fastest. Like it's like you have to find the right skill for your protagonist to have. And hero protagonist has insanely fast reflexes. What well, and, and and those kind of things you have to know how to write them very specifically. It's mm-hmm. the Superman problem. Yeah. Um. But yeah, he's talking about how you know the the, the boundaries that he has to the cross in you know, flatland in a three dimensional metaverse. Um, but you know, beyond the boundaries of this yard is nothing but blackness because he's not jacked into the net. It is a lost, desolate sensation, kind of like floating on a life raft in the Pacific Ocean. That whole section is basically just him like getting stuff ready for later in the book. It feels like it's like, all right, I'm yeah. writing a like antivirus or snow crash. I'm for some reason gonna make myself an invisible avatar just in case I need that. And also, I'm just gonna go practice on my uh, my metaverse like motorcycle bike just to kind of get in the swing of things there again. Well, just like in James Bond movies, it's like, wow, the the, the three devices <laughs> that Q gave you were perfectly timed for what you needed. Awesome. Totally. Uh, so chapter 49. Sometimes they see boats in the distance. A couple of these even swing close by to check them out, but none of them seem to be the rescuing mood. There's a few altruists in the vicinity of the raft, but it must be evident that they don't have much to steal. Yeah. So pirates. Yeah, pirates. We learn a little bit about pirate gangs. There's a pirate game called Clint Eastwood. 
uh, in his in his band, and there's also the Magnificent Seven. You zoom by, they've got like exoset launch tubes on their like luxury yachts that they've like hijacked. Uh, one morning, a big old trawler materializes very close to them, congealing out of nothing as the fog lifts. Here had been hearing its engines for a while, but didn't realize how close it was. Who are they? Fisheye says, choking on a cup of the freeze-dried coffee he despises so much. And we find out from Elliot, he says, that is Bruce Lee. Uh-oh. Yeah, the Bruce, Bruce Lee. Lee. Well, I, th- I think they say uh, somewhere in here, it's like, they say the guy calling himself Bruce Lee, so it might not actually be like the Yeah, Bruce I don't... Lee. I don't think it's bruce lee yeah. because if it is <laughs> oh, this boy. might actually be a more offensive depiction than the quentin tarantino version <laughs> yeah um the ship is close enough that anyone can see the flag pretty clearly it's a red banner for silver fist in the middle a pair of nunchucks crossed beneath it and the initials bnl on either side supposedly their leader has a vest made of scalps and this supposedly further they went through the refuge ships found people with either red or silver hair and took their scalps for his vest hardcore yeah. fisheye makes an unexpected decision I want to talk to this Bruce Lee character. He says he interests me. Yeah. Um, uh, and Elliot is just like, why the hell do you want to talk to that fucking psycho? And here says, yeah, didn't you see the series on I Spy? He's a maniac. I like they bring up I Spy. Uh, Fish- well, uh, <laughs> Elliot's like, why would he let you do that? And Fisheye's like, I'm now the president of the boat. He gets Vic the second the motion. <laughs> well, Fisheye throws up his hands as if to say the answer is like Catholic theology beyond mortal comprehension. This is my decision, he says. Yeah. And so they're uh, like, they're talking about this Bruce Lee guy. Uh, and Elliot's like, you know, uh, he says, or first says, uh, so how do we get this Bruce Lee's guys to come over here and talk to us? And Elliot says, why should they want to? We've got nothing they want except for Poontang. Are you saying these guys are, you know, slurfish? fish, I says, his face delivering up. And Elliot says, shit, man, you didn't blink when I told you about the scalps. Yeah. I don't like any of this boat shit, Fisheye says. Mm-hmm. We're told that they're heterosexual, but they, they're pirates. So they'll go after anything warm and concave. Uh, Fisheye decides that since here and Ellie are Chinese, he wants them to strip naked. They're reticent, of course. So he he's like, just Victor sits there watching them like a lump. It's the comedy. He's so blasé, so it inspires fear. And then finally, Fisheye says, do it or I'll kill you. <laughs> so they strip out of their survival suits. And now they're clothes underneath, revealing smooth skin for the first time in days. The trawler comes alongside. The them. trawler sounds pretty well equipped. It's got a half dozen Zodiacs with new outboards, exoset type missiles, two radar, 50 caliber machine gun at the end of the boat, currently unmanned. It's a couple speedboats being towed, uh, like dinghies, uh, each of them with a heavy machine gun. There's also a 36 foot motor yacht following them under its own power. So, like, these guys have got a pretty good setup here. And there's a couple of dozen guys of Bruce Lee's pirate band, and they're all like lined up on the uh, the railing of the trawler, grinning, whistling, howling like wolves, waving unrolled Trojans in the air. Don't worry, man. I'm not going to let him fuck you, Fisheye says, grinning. <laughs> what are you going to do, Ellie? He says, hand them a papala encyclical. And Fisheye says, I'm sure they'll listen to reason. Yeah. Uh, finally, out comes their leader, Bruce Lee himself, a 40-ish guy in a Kevlar vest, an ammo vest stretched out over that, and a diagonal bandolier, samurai sword. Hero would love to take him on, nunchucks in his colors and his patchwork scalps. Um, flashes him a nice grin, looks at here and Ellie, gives him a highly suggestive thrusting thumbs up gesture, and then struts up and down the length of the boat there's, one time, slapping high fives of his men. There's some real like panic of uh of you know male penetration going on here in these scenes, uh, which I didn't is like this at all. I I remembered this, and I I feel like it's not exactly the same, but it, like in the Diamond Age, I feel like there's something about like male sexuality that seemed to really interest. Neil Stevenson back in like the 90s because the Diamond Age has like some weird sex stuff in it too. I mean, 
I guess if you think about the typical cyberpunk reader and and who that is, it's like they expect the whitey sexuality stuff mm-hmm. or, or or they they look for that, but like this is kind of gets more at the core of their their being. I don't know. It's it's interesting. Um yeah, Hero can't help but notice the scalps on Bruce Lee's back and eventually decides that Bruce Lee must have gotten out and gotten any old scalps, bleached them and dyed them any color he wanted. What a wimp he thinks. Yeah. And there's also this thing where like Bruce Lee's like like marching up and down, like reviewing his men and every so often he'll like take one of their like condoms and like blow it up to make sure there's no leaks in it. Cause he runs yeah. a tight ship. It's a very bizarre shit. He starts like talking to them. And then at one point Elliot says, he's asking how much we cost. It's a joke. See, because they can come over and take her asses for free. Oh, hilarious. Fish. I says, <laughs> um, and then we hear boon missile. Yeah. And then later, uh, Fisheye says he'd give us a harpoon missile for you guys. And he says, no, he's being sarcastic. Shit. Yeah. Uh, so he'll consider it. So they're, they're asking for like, um, like we want a boat with an outboard motor and kind of, you know, talk back and forth. And then Ellie says, he'll consider if they can come and cross come across and check out the merchandise. Uh, they want to check out how tight we are and whether we are capable of pressing our gag reflex. Uh, these are all the terms from the raft brothel industry. Yeah. And then the expression 12 gauge assholes comes up 12 gauge assholes. Yeah. So they're the, the pirates are concerned that these guys are all stretched out and fisheye has to let them know. No, no, no. These guys, they have their cherries. So the whole <laughs> cherries up there, the whole deck erupts and rude screaming laughter. One of the pirates scrambles up to balance on the railing, gyrates one fist in the air and hollers blah, 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 like a bunch of babble. You know, by that point, all the yeah. other pirates have stopped laughing got serious looks on their faces and joined in bellowing in their own private streams of babble rattling the air with a profound horse ululation and then here his feet go out from under him as the rat suddenly moves suddenly he can see elliot falling down next to him like suddenly they're like far away and it describes this dark wave cresting over the railing of bruce Lee's ship uh washing over the row of standing pirates starting at the stern of the trawler and working its way forward and uh, Bruce Lee's crew has been turned into blood and gelatinized internal organs. Yeah, we're going to find out about reason here. Uh, so laughter yeah. on the railing dies, we, d- dies away. Uh, Hero hears a new sound, a low, weary noise from the direction of fisheye, and from the atmosphere around them, a tearing, hissing noise, like the sound just before a thunder strikes, like the sound of sheets being ripped in half. That dark wave-like phenomenon was a wave of blood. Uh, it didn't come from outside, it erupted from the pirates' bodies, the and so it's like, like this, this weapon that Fisheye has, it's basically like this like tiny little, like miniature Gatling gun. That's the, it's reason is what he calls it. It's connected to the briefcase and it's oh, just so basically you're... like sprayed back and forth over the, uh, the ship with this like handheld Gatling gun and just like annihilated, like just punch holes and everything. You're throwing away a classic Neil Stevenson joke. Oh, sure, go ahead. Or he goes, see, I told you they'd listen to Reason, yeah. Fish I says, shutting down the whirling gun. And then we see that the gun is called Reason. It's a product of Ing Industries. It's a, a Gatling hypervelocity railgun system, not intended for field use. Uh, fucking recoil pushes halfway to China, Fish I says appreciatively. Did you do that? What just happened, Elliot says. I did it with Reason. See? It fires these tiny little metal splinters. They go real fast. More engine than a rifle bullet. Depleted uranium. Depleted uranium. Oh, my God. It's like like a terrifying nightmare weapon. You know, it's like this little handheld Gatling gun that he kind of weighs around as though you would wave like like a hose that you're watering your lawn with or something. But it's like just spraying out like depleted uranium shells and just like 
turning like an entire like you know massive trawler with dozens of people on it into like swiss cheese it just like completely melts these dudes uh it's the kind of weapon that i think tony stark would have sold pre-iron man yeah yeah really so that's that's why this thing needs to be you know cooled by have its radio iso cooled but i presumably the briefcase just has like tons and tons and tons of tiny little ammunition that he's like spraying from the the connected hose just the 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 way he is with dialogue, you know, Hero's like, I thought you hated machine guns. And then Fisheye says, I hate this fucking raft even more. Let's go get something that goes, you know, something with a motor on it. <laughs> yeah. And so then they... I swear, he writes he writes dialogue that would work. You could just take it whole cloth to like a TV show. Totally, yeah. And then so they, I think they realize that like, they're, like the ship is blowing up right now, uh, the trawler. But then the, yeah. they're like, oh, several people are still alive shooting at them. So like Fisheye starts like blasting you know more with this thing like the other yacht that was falling behind is that he waves the gun back and forth hosing the target down with a hypersonic shower of depleted uranium bruce lee's entire ship seems to sparkle and glitter as though tinkerbell was flying back and forth from stem to stern sprinkling nuclear fairy dust over it and eventually yeah. it's like the the thing just like is falling apart and it's like hey they need one of these boats and so vic says cut it out boss and fish goes i'm melting and Elliot says we could have used that trawler asshole vindictively yanking his pants back on I didn't mean to blow it all up I guess the little bolts could just go through everything Fisheye says and Hero says sharp thinking Fisheye he says well I'm sorry I took a little action to save our asses come on let's go get one of them boats before they all burn yeah um, so Hero mentions to Elliot the babbling that they heard at the end before the Fisheye led up the Bruce's crew and Elliot says the babbling is a thing on the raft one will start and the rest will join in Elliot thinks that since they all speak different languages, that they're just in, in, in imitating what the others think that they're hearing. I don't think they um, are. I think that's what Elliot thinks, but I think we yeah. know that it's it's not just them imitating something. It's like a real thing. Well, it's it's interesting. So Bruce Lee, I'm trying to remember, was he implied to be a CIC agent in the No, the, the CIC agent was like in Bruce Lee's gang, like undercover okay. or something like that. Okay. But so Bruce Lee has been onto the raft and he survived. He's exited. He's presumably not not a part of the the raft crew, and yet very like obviously his his people are infected with the. the well, it seems to like come on randomly, virus. right? Yeah. Like it just it takes over. Like one of them starts doing it, and they all start doing it, maybe uncontrollably. But also culturally, they speak terms from the raft brothel mm-hmm. culture or whatever. Um. So yeah, they they take over this yacht that they like decapitated with the gun. Um, the, like this description, the skipper and the crew member, or rather the stew that they turned into once the bridge was hit by reason, slid off into the water along with the rest of the debris, leaving behind no evidence of their having been there except a pair of long parallel streaks trailing off into the water. Uh, but there is a yeah. Filipino boy down the galley, uh, so alone, unhurt, and only dimly aware of what happened. So they like had yeah. to like kind of spend 12 hours like patching shit back together because of all the damage they did to this yacht but uh, hero helps elliot out with that and they eventually get up and running yeah uh by the time it's up and running against dark uh, to the southwest the fluctuating column of light is playing back and forth against the low overhang cloud air is that the raft over there fish eye says you know it is elliot says they light it up at night so the fishing boats can find their way back you know so the question is like how far was that away it's 20 miles how far to land, you know, Bruce Lee Skipper would probably have known. He's been, you know, pureed along with everyone else. Uh, they eventually come to to think that they're probably about 100 miles offshore. And the longer and short of it is, they don't think they have enough gas, maybe, to make it to shore. But they yeah. do have enough gas to make it to the raft. Yeah. So it's like, well, why don't we just go to the raft and uh, get some fuel? 
Yeah. And also, you know, you know, policy decision, the hostage tactic failed. So we go for an extraction. Extraction of what? Of YT. I go along with that, Hero says. But I have another person I want to extract as well, as long as we're extracting. Who? Juanita. Come on. You said yourself she was a nice girl. And Fisher says, says, if she's on the raft, maybe she's not so nice. Yeah. Uh, So they're going to get her there, too. You know, we're all part of Lagos' gang. Um, We hear Bruce Lee had some people there as well. Correction, had. (laughs) But what I'm saying is they're going to be pissed. You think they're going to be pissed? I think they're going to be scared shitless, Fisher says. Now drive the boat, Elliot. Come on. I'm sick of all this fucking water. I mean, so they're headed for the raft. Like, reason is impressive, but my impression as a raft is that there might be like, I don't know, at least a hundred thousand, if not more, people on the raft, maybe a million. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, so I don't. You can't like mow down a million people with your gun. No, no. And if you could, this isn't a very interesting book. Yeah. Um. So chapter fifty. Uh, oh Raven ushers white team into a flat ass boat with a canopy on top. It's some kind of riverboat that's been turned into a Vietnamese, American, Thai, Chinese business establishment, kind of a bar, restaurant, whorehouse, gambling den. There's a few big rooms where lots of people are letting it all hang out and lots of tiny steel walled rooms down below where God knows what kind of activity is taking place. What a place to take her to, Raven. First date. Yeah. And she kind of describes this weird cartoon. It's on the wall. It's like a ghoulish Wiley Co- What if Wiley Coyote got rabies? Uh, she calls it a snuff cartoon it's like it's all drawn in like pink and like green or something like that uh there's a bunch of erotic dancers are performing at one end of the room raven you're taking her to a fucking strip club yeah it's a positive crowd never get a place to sit but of course they they do find a table raven picks up a chair inspects it making sure there's not a chair bomb under it then he has her sit with him i like the description it says but shortly after raven comes into the room half a dozen guys in the corner suddenly stand bolt upright and scatter from a table and yeah. Raven pushes YT through the room ahead of him like she's a figurehead on his kayak. Yeah. A waiter comes over immediately. He screams at her over the noise, probably asking what she wants. A cheeseburger, she screams back at him. He <laughs>, laughs, shakes his head. You see any cows around here? Anything but fish, she screams. That's one of my favorite, like, just minor little details for why YT is that she asks for a cheeseburger yeah. on this boat. I like how like Raven, uh, like he picks like like a, a chair in the corner and sits down so he can see the whole room. And like so she yeah. has her back to the whole room while he watches her in the room. Um which in a way is obviously he needs that from his perspective. But like for her, it's almost a kindness. So she yeah. doesn't have to see this fucking room. But he also he says, um, um I already squid, he hollers, that's a mollusk. And she thinks, Great, Raven, the last of the true gentlemen. Yeah. yeah, there is a lot he, of shouted conversation lasting the better part of an hour. Raven does most of the shouting. YT just listens, smiles, and nods. Hopefully, he's not saying something like, I enjoy really violent, abusive sex hacks. Uh, she can pick up what he's saying here and there when he's not shoving squid in his mouth and the music isn't too loud. He's basically giving her a political history of the Aleuts. <laughs> he's talking um, politics. <laughs> yeah. Uh, from the book, Russians fucked us over. Smallpox had a 90% mortality rate. Worked us as slaves in their sailing, sailing, sailing industry. Seward's folly. Fucking Nipponese took away my father in 42, put him in a POW camp. Uh, Americans fucking nuked us. Can you believe that shit, he says? There's a lull in the music. Um, yeah, the Nipponese so, say they're the only ones who are, who are nuked. Well, every nuclear power has one aboriginal group whose territory they nuked to test their weapons. In America, they nuked the Aloetians. Uh, and yeah. Amchika, my father, Raven says, greeting proudly, was nuked twice. Once at Nagasaki when he was blinded, and then again in 1972 when the Americans nuked our homeland. Great, Whitey thinks. She's got a new boyfriend and he's a mutant. Explains one or two things. Yeah, I love her I was, just complete irreverence for everything. 
I was born a few months later, he continues, by the way, of totally hammering that point home. <laughs> so uh, she asked how he got hooked up with the orthos. He says he broke with the traditions, started like working on, on Soldatna, as if she knows where that is, she says. Uh, he worked on oil rigs, started drinking, this is where he got the tattoo. He also learned how to make love to a woman there, <laughs> which is the only thing he does better than harpooning. Um, as crude as a man is, she can't help, she can't get around the fact that he's making her uncomfortably horny, she says. Yeah. Uh, he used to work fishing boats too, make a little extra money. Would come back from a forty-eight hour halibut opening. It's back in the old days when they had fishing regulations, so he'd put on survival suits, stick beers into the pockets, and jump in the water and just float around drinking all night long. Uh, one time we were doing this, and I was drunk until I, I drank until I was passed out. When I woke up, it was the next day or maybe a couple of days later. I don't know. I was floating in my survival suit in the middle of the, the Cook Inlet, all alone. The other guys in my fishing boat had forgotten about me. Conveniently enough, YT. Thinks, I think YT like realizes that like yeah, they probably wanted to get fucking get rid of you. <laughs> Yeah, uh, he floated for a few days, got real thirsty, closed, floated, or floated up by the Kodiak Island. Uh, by this point, he was sick of the DTs and everything else, which is when the Russian Orthodox Church found him, took him in and straightened him out. And he saw that the Western American lifestyle had almost killed him. Here comes the sermon, Here she comes thinks. Here sermon. Well, he really uh, is just like, you know, now I can only live through faith and living a simple lifestyle. No booze, no television. And it's like, it's just like the most badass guy on the planet. He's also kind of a drip. You know? Yeah, he just wants yeah. to talk about <laughs> politics and how the American way of life is, you know, was going to kill him until he found God and cleaned up his life. So what's he doing with her? <laughs> I mean, he's still horny. I mean, but still, yeah. it's like she's going to represent everything. Yeah, I know. Can, she's like, she's kind of like the picture of America, you know, like this yeah. like incredibly irreverent trash talking 15 year old girl who doesn't give a shit about anything. Well, and on top of it all, as she's just told us, blonde. Yeah. Uh, so she, she's he mentions no booze on television. She's like, so what are we doing in this place? <laughs> and he's like, this is an example of the bad places I used to hang out. But if you're going to get decent food in the raft, you have to come to a place like this. Yeah. So then a waiter approaches. His eyes are big. His movements tentative. He's not coming to take an order. He's coming to deliver bad news. Sir, you're wanted on the radio. I'm sorry. Raymond's like, who is it? And the waiter just kind of looks around like he can't even speak the name. Published says it's very important. He says, Raven heaves a big sigh, grabs one last piece of fish, and pokes it into his mouth. He stands up, and before YT can react. Gives her a kiss on the cheek. Honey, I got a job to do or something. Just wait here for me, okay? Here? Nobody will fuck with you, Raven says, as much for the benefit of the waiter as for YT. So he's just going to go bounce to like do some wet work or something and leave her at this strip club. Well, and it's like by now, it's like in two chapters time, they're going steady. Well, he's just like announced you're my girlfriend. And now I'm giving you a kiss on the cheek. And she's like, oh, I guess I am. Yeah. I mean, it's like she's kind of joked about it, but mm-hmm. it's like she's like, oh, yeah, this is for real. He's, mm-hmm. yeah. Raven, right. what a guy. Yeah. I mean, oh, I, yeah. I remember when I first read this, this was not what I was expecting Raven to be like at all, you know? Oh, you mean Dimitri Ravenoff, better known as Raven? Yeah. I was just like, oh, wow. Okay. Interesting. I definitely wasn't expe- expecting him to become Whitey's boyfriend. Yeah. It only gets weirder. <laughs> yes, it does. Uh, but that is the end. This is kind of a short section, I feel like, except for that one long chapter. The other chapters are fairly short. Uh, yeah. But next time, we'll be doing chapters 51 through 56. There's 72 chapters total, so, you, you know, we're getting close. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know. What do, you, what do you think about this? Do we want to have a last podcast with just, like, 71 and 72, or should we maybe stretch the last two out maybe to do, like, an extra chapter? Are you still reading ahead? No. Okay. I guess the question was we kind of kind of we kind of kind of do that as we get closer. Yeah, I should see. look at the page count to just see like is, are we going to have like a bunch of one-page chapters or, or you yeah, know, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. So I, I might just read the rest of it just to get a feel. But cool. Yeah, we'll see. Um, anyway, you can check out next week, episode 11, where we talk about chapters 51 through 55. Thanks for Bye, Trouble. Yeah, Trouble always finds me. My name is Trouble. Trouble takes a holiday. Three books. They should all be out by the time this podcast drops. Go to mynameistrouble.com and check it out. Yup. Bye. Peace. Thank you.